Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're in Matthew chapter 13. Again, here's another parable. This is the parable of the net. It begins in verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish. And when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down, and gathered the good fish into containers, but threw out the worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, what follows is another parable. And then uh, this is on the heels of a similar parable. The next parable to come uh, is the parable of the storehouse of truth. All right, Uh, and then this comes on the heels of something that we've just preached, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. In the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the angels followed uh, a similar role as they do in this parable of the net. In the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the angels are the ones uh, who are going out and they're spotting the weeds among the wheat. All right? uh, and now in the parable of the, the net, these are the, the, the fishermen attendants. Right? They're the ones who are throwing the worthless fish as they're described in verse 48 uh, to the good fish as they're described in verse 48. So it, in, in that context, in this larger picture of these parables about the kingdom of heaven, we can again see that judgment takes place, uh, ju- judgment takes place at the hands of God. The net is thrown pretty wide, obviously. It, it brings in every kind of fish. Uh, commentators in verse 47 will vary. Sometimes you'll see that and it refers to both Gentiles and Jews or even kind of used to take more of a modern diversity play to talk about people from every nation. Both are accurate, but, uh, but neither actually gets the point. It's actually about how there, there are going to be false converts in the net. There, there were weeds among the wheat, there are goats among the sheep, and there are worthless fish among the good fish. So when you look at it all collectively, you don't know who's saved and who isn't saved. There are, uh, there, there are studies I would encourage you to look up. Uh, Google, if you have the time, the global status of evangelical Christianity. This is an amalgamation of data from the Lausanne Conference, the Joshua Project, and the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And they do just survey through missionaries of the state of things for evangelical Christianity globally. And there are huge geographic regions where these bright lime green or these dark lush green dots will just cover the map. And it would make you make you think looking at the map that both of the outer coasts of Australia are all saved. And like uh, the whole southeastern United States, nothing but saved Christians. All right. And you can see uh, beautiful dots of green spots uh, popping up in, in China. And you can also just see barely any remnants of the green dots where the gospel began right there near Jerusalem. You can even see the whole like outline of the border of the nation of India, which actually just yesterday uh, um, an international missions organization just announced that two Christians were arrested, uh, fined, and sent back to the U.S. because they shared the gospel with somebody. Like they're trying to make Christianity illegal. Right? So uh, this global status of evangelical Christianity map, it's just data, it's just a survey. This parable would cause you to look with skepticism on the portions of the map that are green. Not everyone who would respond to a survey in a way that would lend itself to a shade of lime or dark green on that map actually is a Christian. Some of them are weeds among the wheat. Some of them are goats among the sheep. Some of them are the bad fish among the good fish. And so 
we don't know this. We can't, we can't discern this. We're not given the authority nor the task. In fact, in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, Jesus forbids the angels from even doing the sorting. That happens at the hands of God on judgment day. So how does this affect, uh, how does this affect the church philosophically now and today? It encourages us then to cast a wide net and let God sort out who is saved and who is not saved. Do make disciples of all nations. Do use means even to share the gospel in creative ways, especially in communities like ours in Seattle, where you have to create those opportunities. The government's not going to make them for you, right? You uh, do cast the net and, and present a true gospel, not compromising the truth of the Bible in any way whatsoever, but trusting God to sort out those who are saved from those who are not saved. That's verse 49. This is in verses 49 and 50. It's another one of these moments where the, uh, the parable imagery gives way to direct teaching. Jesus has this brilliant way in his parables of kind of bringing us from the dream sequence back to reality. Okay, and like if it were Princess Bride, you're looking at the medieval world and then you go back to the grandpa and the grandson uh, while he tells the story. Jesus has this way in his parables of doing that, but instead of like this beloved, sweet, funny, romantic comedy from the 80s, it's people burning in hell forever. So it's pretty shocking, but it's brilliant the way that Jesus makes the transition. He's talking about wheat and weeds and the barn, and then he's talking about, like, you can get it. There's not weeping and gnashing of teeth in the fire outside the barn. Rather, that's hell. And there's not weeping and gnashing of teeth, like, for the fish that are worthless, as verse 48 describes them. Rather, we're talking about hell. So uh, he moves from metaphorical language of a parable to direct language about the reality of hell. So it will be at the end of the age, verse 49. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous. We're not speaking in a parable anymore here. And throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's verse 50. So it all comes on the heels of verse 48. The net is full and it's dragged ashore. Okay, this is the end of the age. We've got a church and some of them are believers, some of them are not believers, but it is a full net thrown wide. Every kind of fish is in there and it's dragged ashore. They sit down and they gather the good fish into the containers, but they separate out the worthless ones. This one is good. This one is not. This one is, when I say good, I'm not talking about moral goodness. I'm talking about chosen and foreknown by God before the foundations of the earth. A true Christian who's filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Someone who has confessed Jesus as Lord, repentant from sin, and dwelt with the Spirit, loving His church, loving God, and loving others. This is a Christian. So that is what is called a good fish. Worthless, this is not to speak to a devaluing of human life. This is one who has not borne fruit for the kingdom of God. It is fruitless. It's there among the net, but it's not a fruitful Christian. See the larger context of the parables that, uh, that surround this text. So that's why it's described as worthless. He's not describing a human soul as though it's devoid of worth. Rather, uh, these are fish that do not serve the, do not serve, you know, the, the catch, the harvest, if you will, of the fishermen in the text. Uh, just as they, they did, the weeds didn't serve the harvest in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, these fish do nothing toward the will of God. All right, they do nothing toward the will of the fishermen. Uh, they do not, they do not bear fruit. We saw this in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. 
They may have some things on their resume and they claim to be saved by their works, but they never knew God. So your fruitlessness, your fruitlessness indicates your worthlessness in the, in the use of the word here in verse 48. So cast the wide net. Cast it wide. Okay? Don't compromise biblical truth in your church to try to convince people to be saved. Don't try to bury repentance in the fine print. And don't try to make Christian doctrine more palatable to the masses. We as a church tried that in the seeker era, and it led to a whole lot of false converts. Rather, present the whole truth, casting the wide net, reaching out to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your friends. By all means, sure, I'm, I'm, uh, I have no opposition to large-scale evangelistic events, but you trust God to sort out those who are saved and those who are not truly saved. Do not, in applying the parable of the wheat in the weeds here, take it upon yourself to sift through and say, you're not really saved, you're really saved, because you could have that totally flip-flopped. You could be looking at someone who is a good fish and kept telling them that they're worthless. You could be looking at someone who is a uh, who is an absolute, absolute weed looking like wheat and say, you're a true believer. You and I don't have the authority to know that. God is the one who, according to uh, 2 Samuel 16, looks at the heart. Right? God is the one who looks at the heart. We may look at outward appearances, but God is the one who looks at the heart. It's not for us to do the sorting. God and his angels do that at the end of the age. So, share the gospel indiscriminately. Cast the net wide. Numerous times I've been surprised by the people who have taken me up on my own gospel invitation. I'll throw it out there. Do you want to hear the gospel? Can I pray with you? Right, and they'll say yes. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> you, you cast the net wide because you don't know. You don't know if somebody's really going to believe. God may soften their hearts, open their eyes to see, open their ears to hear. They may turn, they may be healed, they may be saved. You don't know, all right? You're not the Holy Spirit. God is the one who does that work. You've been the one who's been called to, in the larger context, zooming out um, on the last couple of weeks worth of text. You cast the seed, okay? You're the one who shares the gospel. Share it indiscriminately. You have no control over the type of soil or heart that it lands on, you have no way of knowing in that moment if it's a good fish or a worthless fish. You've just been, you've been the one who's been told to help cast the net, to make disciples, to share the gospel, to spread the news of Jesus. So do so indiscriminately, leaving the results up to Jesus.